Hello, my name is Andrew Philbeck. I am the group's pastor at Mount Pleasant, and uh, I get the opportunity to talk with everyone this weekend about prayer. And I want to make sure and say right from the beginning that we are really only going to scratch the surface when it comes to this topic. The Bible speaks so much about prayer, and there's so much valuable information in here that it would be impossible for me or anyone, I believe, to condense all the pieces of wisdom down into one message. There's simply too much to look at because from Genesis all the way to Revelation, the Bible is filled with people who are praying to God. I mean, we have the entire book of Psalms where we see David and others pouring out their hearts to God, being authentic and vulnerable, confessing, seeking for help, praying for guidance. Not to mention we have Jesus walking us through an outline for prayer in our own personal lives. We see that in Matthew chapter 6. And those are just a couple of examples because the Bible is filled with people praying. And I hope you realize that that right there tells us something about the importance of prayer. And I realize that for some people, prayer does come more naturally than it does for others because there are some who really struggle with a prayer life. And because of thinking about all of that, it was difficult for me to really decide what passage or what verse I should focus on when it came to uh, talking about this. Not to mention, you know, how I could talk about prayer within the context of our sermon series, Blueprints for a Healthy Church. Because the truth is, at the end of the day, a healthy church is a church that is filled with prayer. And I'm not just referring to corporate prayer during a service. I mean Every single one of us in the church should be a person of prayer. Prayer should flow naturally out of our faith in God, and we should recognize that our spiritual life is kept alive by prayer. Prayer should be a part of who we are, and every aspect of our lives should be covered in prayer. Our families, our jobs, our friendships, our goals, our struggles, there's nothing that we should not pray about. So how in the world do we do something like that justice, especially when I know and you know that as wonderful as it can be, prayer isn't always easy or a priority. So as I was struggling with what to talk about today, I came up with something that might seem a little strange. And so what I want to do is I want to encourage you and inspire you to pray more than I want to talk about how to pray or the the basic mechanics of prayer, if that makes sense. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus gives us a wonderful model to follow in Matthew chapter 6, and we are going to touch on that a little bit later in our time together. But I didn't want to just go through the Lord's prayer during this message. I decided that what I wanted to do was to try and stir up inside of you a desire to pray. There's a quote that I want to share with you, and uh, hopefully it will kind of explain this goal a little bit better. It's often attributed to the French author Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. It says, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up the men to gather wood, divide the work, and give orders. Instead, teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. And that's my goal today, 
we'll see some of the details about how to pray, but what I want to spend the majority of our time doing together is really talking about the why. Why do we pray? Why does God even want us to pray? Why should we bring our concerns to God if he already knows everything? These are real questions that people have. These are questions that I have had in my life. And they aren't just questions that I wrestled with as a child. They still come up and surface in one form or another from time to time. I mean, I see the reality of what's going on in our world right now from all of the issues surrounding the coronavirus pandemic to the protests about racism and violence. And on the one hand, uh, the truth is I feel a great desire to pray because of all of that, to pray for the world as a whole, to pray for our country, to pray for those who are directly involved with fighting these issues, and to pray for those who honestly don't really know what to do because of the situations that they're in. But on the other hand, and I'm just trying to be completely candid with you today, sometimes I see what's going on in our world and I think about praying and you know what comes to my mind? Why? Why? But I have a feeling that some of you have felt the same way at times and had that same thought cross through your mind. And the lack of a desire to pray is something that I want to try and combat in our time together today. I want to combat it in my own life as much as I want to help anyone else combat it in theirs. Because even though there can be a temptation toward apathy when it comes to our prayer lives, we have to recognize that the truth is there is great power in prayer. There's great power in prayer. And on top of that, Another way that I can just be completely honest is the fact that I'm moved knowing that God wants to hear from me. And I wonder how often you think about that. And I wonder if anyone's moved by that fact the same way that I am. God wants to hear my voice. He wants to know what's going on in my life. And it's because he cares about me. It's because he cares about you. And the more that I think about this, the more incredible I realize that it is. I hope you feel the same way. So let's spend the rest of our time together talking about prayer. And like I said, I, I'm going to do my best to focus on the why and the motivation more than the how. And again, I know that might sound odd, but I really believe that if we have a passion for something, then we will find a way, we will learn, we will make it a priority in our lives, and we won't let anything keep us from experiencing it. And so with that in mind, the first thing that we're going to talk about when we try to deal with this question of why we pray is this. We pray because prayer is like breathing. Prayer is like breathing. I want to give you a couple of reasons why I say that. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17 says, Pray continually or pray without ceasing, depending on your translation. In Ephesians, we read the words, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. 
Paul also writes in the letter to the Philippians, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, those are just a few quick examples, and I think they speak to the reality that if we are followers of Jesus, then we should be people of prayer. The reformer Martin Luther said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. There is a necessity to prayer that I wonder if we truly understand. And I say that because if we aren't careful, if we aren't purposeful, what we can find ourselves doing is just going through the routine motions of prayer without experiencing any of the impact of prayer. We pray before meals. Maybe we get up and pray in the morning and then pray again at at bedtime. We pray corporately during a church service, but we never do it in a way that leads to any kind of spiritual growth or greater joy in God. To really use this illustration of breathing, I would say that if those are the only times that we are praying, then what we are doing essentially is holding our breath. We're holding our breath, spiritually speaking, between these points in our days and our weeks and maybe even in our months. And if we tried to hold our breath for this long physically, we would at best pass out. And okay, you might say that this isn't a perfect comparison because we don't have to think about breathing, but we do have to think about praying. Our our breath is part of our autonomic nervous system. Uh, It's one of many things that our body basically does without us thinking about it. It does it unconsciously. And I would say, you're right, it's not a perfect illustration, but I still think it's a good one. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, again, when Paul writes, pray continually, He's telling us that we should have frequent, consistent, and recurring prayers. This is not a call for us to simply babble to God continuously. This is not him saying that we should just, you know, kind of nonstop talk to God. Rather, it's a principle that prayer should be not just something that we do from time to time, but a way of life. We're always supposed to have an attitude of prayer It strengthens us and it sustains us because of what prayer is. I mean, prayer is encountering God. And when we regularly and consistently encounter God, that will have an effect on us. If you've ever played sports or trained for any kind of athletic competition or event, then you've most likely gone through some level of conditioning. I grew up playing sports and Because of that, I did a lot of conditioning, both baseball and basketball. They required lots of sprints. That's at least what my coach used to say. My dad was always my coach. So for baseball, we'd run the bases, which, you know, when you're a little kid, that's so much fun to get out on the field and to run around the bases. But when you get older and it's turned into the conditioning that you have to do at the end of practice, it takes the fun away a little bit. In basketball, we would run suicides. At least that's what they called them when I was playing. I would honestly be surprised if they still called them that today. But we'd start under the goal, and we'd run to the free throw line and back, and then we'd run to the three-point line and back, and then we'd run to the half 
court line and back. And we'd continue doing that until basically we were running back and forth across the length of the court. And what happens is over time, the more conditioned we are, the better we got. But the thing is, we don't just get better. We didn't just get better at the conditioning itself. That's not what happens. What happens is that over time, you get better at the actual game. And so in baseball, you know, singles stretch into doubles. In basketball, you don't just become better at running wind sprints down the court. You get better at fast breaks. You get better at getting back on defense. When we understand and practice prayer consistently, when we take those spiritual breaths, deep, consistent spiritual breaths, we develop endurance, and we don't just get better at the act of praying, we grow spiritually. And we become better Christians. We become better husbands and better wives, better sons, better daughters, better friends, better co-workers. We are able to withstand temptation greater. We serve more. We build others up. We encourage others more and more. In short, we become more like Jesus. Prayer is like breathing. It gives us life and strengthens us. That's one of the reasons why we should do it. The next thing that we need to talk about, or at least that I want to talk about in the rest of our time together, is the fact that we should pray because prayer is a conversation. Prayer is a conversation. Why do we pray? We pray because it's how we talk to God. In Psalm 62, verse 8, David says, Trust in Him at all times. O people, Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. In the New Testament, we read the words, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In 1 John 5, verse 14, we read, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Prayer is talking to God. I'm sure many of you have heard that before. And it seems so simple, but I would say it like this, you know, like most important things in life that seem simple, it is and it isn't. It's simple because it's true. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, we have access to God the Father in a way that allows us to speak to him as easily as I'm speaking to you right now. But at the same time, It isn't simple because God wants more from us than just our words. He's not interested in shallow conversations or ones that are filled with pomp and circumstance. He wants us to be real and authentic and vulnerable. And even when it comes to talking to God, those things can be challenging. Now, I've come across some criticism the idea that prayer is a conversation, and I understand that, you know. Uh, For example, if I sit down with my wife later this week and she talks to me and she confides in me, uh, let's say that she even, you know, confesses some things to me and asks me for help uh, with some stuff that she's dealing with, and I just sit there attentively listening but never make any response of my own, and all that we ever hear is the sound of her voice, Chances are she's not going to walk away from that experience thinking that we had a great conversation. But that's what we tend to think of when we pray. And to be completely upfront, 
most prayers in the Bible are kind of like that, you know. They don't involve a lot of back and forth with God. Now, it does happen from time to time. Genesis 18, for example, you know, we uh, read about when Abraham is asking God not to destroy Sodom, and they have kind of a back and forth when it comes to the number of righteous people that God needs to try and find there. Or even better, we can think about Exodus 33, verse 11, uh, because these are some wonderful words. It says, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. But we know that these are the exception and not the rule. So if that's the case, how are we to understand prayer as a conversation? Well, we do that when we begin to really read and study God's word. Now, this doesn't mean that we have to uh, read the Bible or read Scripture before every act of prayer. But think about this. The deepest, the, the most intimate conversations that you have with people, or maybe just with one person, it's usually with the person or the people that you are the closest to, the ones that you have the deepest relationship with. Our best conversations are with people who know us the best and who we know the best. Well, how do we get to know God? We read his word. We read his word. We can't grow in a relationship with someone unless we know about them. And God reveals who he is to us in Scripture. And, you know, one of the things that I think is really fascinating when you sit back and, and consider what all of this means is the implication uh, that this means God is the one who has started the conversation. People balk at the idea of prayer as a conversation because, you know, when we speak, we don't hear the voice of God uh, answering us. But I wonder if he has ever grown frustrated with us because he has spoken so much to us already through his word and we don't respond to him. Or when we do, we don't ever talk to him about anything except what's going on in our lives. The more we come to truly know God, the greater a desire that we will have to spend time with him. And we do that through prayer. Because as we learn uh, things about God, or rather as we move from just learning things about God to truly knowing God, we realize that he is the only one worth talking to when it comes to so much going on in our lives, in this world, and when it comes to what we understand and learn about his word. In his book that's simply titled Prayer, Pastor Tim Keller writes these words. He says, the problem is that if God is not the starting point, then our own perceived emotional needs become the drivers and sole focus of our prayers. That will inevitably narrow prayer down from its full biblical spectrum. I think a simple way to understand that is to just say this, that if we think of prayer as a conversation and we believe that that conversation starts with us all of the time, then we aren't going to have that much to talk about. And what we do talk about is not always going to be worth that much. There's one more thing that I want to spend some time on when it comes to why we pray. And it's the wonderful reality that we pray because prayer changes us. Prayer changes us. 
Colossians 3 verses 1 and 2 say, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. When I think about the model of prayer that Jesus lays out for us during his Sermon on the Mount, there's always been one part that I have struggled with more than others. Uh, Jesus says these words. He says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When I was younger, I had a very fatalistic attitude toward prayer. I would pray consistently, but my reasons for prayer were often selfish and shallow. They were selfish because they centered around me, my struggles, my desires, what I thought was best for my life, the things that I would ask God to do for me because I thought it's what I really needed or what I really wanted. They were shallow, to be perfectly honest, because I believed that God was either going to do or not do whatever he planned on doing, and it didn't really matter what I prayed. And of course, when I was younger, there was a certain kind of uh, twisted logic to this because, you know, even though I had, you know, what is honestly kind of a defeatist or a, a resigned mindset about these things, I told myself that I was actually being a good Christian because, you know, he's God and I'm not. His ways are higher than my ways. God knows best. God has a plan. So it didn't really matter what I said. You know these things. These things are true. These are things that I still believe. But it made prayer something of a struggle. And I have a feeling that I'm not the only one who's ever struggled with something like that. Well, I want to pause for a moment and just say very clearly and, and uh, plainly that we know it is not wrong, foolish, or a waste of time to ask God for things in prayer. In James chapter 4, the brother of Jesus tells us, you do not have because you do not ask God. And Jesus himself tells us this in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a steak? If you then, though you were evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So what is God telling us? Well, first off, he's not saying don't talk to me. God is not saying, look, whatever's going to happen will happen, so don't even ask. What he is telling us is you can trust me. He's saying you can trust me. Even if something you think is best doesn't work out, and even if you can't comprehend what's happening, you can trust me. But I have to stop here and just say, this is not an easy thing to accept. I realize that, and I think it's one of the reasons, well, I know it's one of the reasons why this was such a struggle for me when I was younger. Because I'm not the one in control. I mean, 
my guess is that if we're all completely honest, we're all alike in the sense that we think we know what's best, especially for our own lives. And I read verses like Romans 8, verse 28, and it says, you know, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. But because I think I know what's best, there are times when, if I'm completely honest, I look out at the world around me or I look at someone's situation and I don't see anything good. In fact, I can't even comprehend how something positive could come from this situation. And for me, when I am facing that, when I am dealing with that reality in my life, what I have to do is look to the cross. And listen, I'm being very deliberate when I choose my words right now because it is something that I have to make myself do. When we see Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see him trusting God and God's plan. In Luke chapter 22, he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus submitted to the will of God the Father under circumstances far greater than I will ever have to experience. He didn't follow his own desire. He trusted God. And because of that, he saved all of us. And by now you might be asking, what does any of this have to do with the fact that prayer changes you? And that's a fair question. When we can truly trust God, when we can truly and honestly say to God, your will be done, that changes us. That allows us to know peace in a way unlike anything else. It changes the foundation for our life because it's not about my will or my boss's will or even the will of my family. It changes us because, you know, while we can and should continue to bring our needs and our wants to God and to be completely honest with Him, we don't have to hang all of our spiritual and emotional well-being on what we think is best because we trust God. But here's the deal. We will not be able to do that. We'll not be able to live that way until we are fundamentally certain that God is our Father. You won't be able to truly say the words, your will be done, unless you trust Him completely. And so as we accept prayer like a breath and build up spiritual endurance based on experiencing God, and as we talk to God, you know, converse with God in real, meaningful, and authentic ways that come out of our own life and experience, we also know that because of what God reveals to us through His Word, we will be changed. We can be changed we will experience spiritual growth. And as we grow closer to God, we will trust God more and more. And that will make us healthy believers. And when we are healthy, the church is healthy. 
A church is only as healthy as those in it. And a healthy church is filled with people who pray. We're not being asked to do anything that Jesus hasn't already done. And while it will be difficult at times, we can also remember the words from 1 Corinthians that say, Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. As we breathe and talk and trust, we will see more and more and we will look forward to the day when we shall know fully and be fully known. I was talking to my wife the other day and she asked me how things were going in preparation for this sermon. And I told her that I was learning a lot about prayer and that honestly it made me feel like I had been doing it wrong my whole life. But at the same time, the more that I read and studied about prayer, the more I realized just how much God wanted to hear from me, how much God wanted to challenge me through his word and encourage me and honestly bless me. I realized how much I learned about myself through prayer because as I have become more bold and vulnerable in my prayers over the years, I have seen a more authentic version of myself, real, standing before God. You can learn all the details surrounding prayer, all the different techniques and methods. And listen, I'm not saying that those things aren't valuable. I'm not saying that you should not spend time doing that. But I am saying that if you don't have the right desire, and here's the deal, not simply the desire to pray, but the desire for God, then it won't matter what you learn. Because at the end of the day, we are driven by what we love most, what we are passionate about, what we long for and yearn for. And when we have a desire to know God and to be fully known by God, we will find a way to pray. I love, I love that quote that I shared with you at the beginning of this message about building a boat because I truly believe that just like, just like a longing for the vast and endless sea can stir up in some enough passion and desire to learn everything they need to learn about how to build a boat. So can a longing for God stir up enough passion and desire for us to learn how to pray, to begin praying, and to continue praying until it is simply part of who we are in every aspect of our life. And it is as essential to us as breathing a healthy church is a church filled with people who pray. God, thank you so much for starting the conversation with us. Help us, Lord, to examine ourselves, to examine our hearts, what we desire, what we are passionate about. And I pray first and foremost for everyone hearing this that they would be passionate for you. And that passion and that desire would drive them into your word and drive them to prayer. 
We pray, God, that you would bless Mount Pleasant, bless the people who make up Mount Pleasant. Help us to trust you, even when it doesn't make any sense in our limited understanding. And help us to seek you first and most of all. We love you, Lord, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.